Inside the Adventure, episode number 47 with Eric Baird. If you've ever been afraid to step outside your comfort zone, then you're in the right place. Inside the Adventure features incredible athletes and everyday people sharing their epic stories of pushing life to its limits. Get ready to be inspired, face your fears, and take action with your host, Marshall Mosier. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Inside the Adventure. This is your host, Marshall Mosher, and today we're going to hear the story of Eric Baird, the founder and CEO of a cool outdoor startup called Granogi. He's the granola plus yogi outdoors lover whose vision was to create Granogi through inspiring connection and creating new opportunities for growth. Granogi is all about bringing people together, and this all started when Eric dreamed of taking 300 people down to the beautiful waterfalls of Havasupai. Combining hiking, camping, yoga, and meditation, Granogi helps inspire healthy living skills through emotional healing and outdoor experiences. So I was originally born from Salt Lake City, Utah. My dad's from from a little town here called Draper, which is now, if you go to Draper, it's like unrealistic, the homes that are there. It's, it's, it's incredible. But at an early age, my family moved to Southern California, and so I was raised in different parts of Southern California. We live in Inglewood, which is, if you're a gangster, you know Inglewood is always up to no good. It's just one of those places that's very uh, challenging as far as like uh, gangs and the culture there. And so uh, as I continued to get older, my parents realized that I started making friends that I shouldn't have been making friends with. And so we would move closer to the beach. And so eventually I became a surfer. I was grew up on in Redondo Beach, California. A lot of my friends were right there in Manhattan Beach. They lived on these little mini mansions right along the coast. And so I got to to surf a lot and hang out with them in their homes and, and kind of get an idea of what it was like being them, even though I didn't, I wasn't them. Uh, so there was a little bit of jealousy that, you know, they could have anything and everything they wanted anytime they wanted. And I was like this poor kid on the other side of the street that kind of was still part of the culture, but not necessarily in that same realm, right? And so um, so growing up was fun. I mean, I went to a, a high school that was big on surfing. We had surf teams, Miracosta High School right there in Manhattan. Uh, and so uh, I wrestled, I played football, wasn't really good at either, just did it because that was my friends. Those are the guys that I hung out with. And, and so I kind of just wanted to fit in. Um, and, and so, you know, after, let's see, so high school was great. I mean, I don't have any regrets about that at all. It was a lot of fun. I had a girlfriend through most of high school. And then um, I grew up as uh, the popular culture here in Utah is it's uh, as Mormon. I grew up a Mormon, but I was in California. So there's a a big difference, uh, I think, in the Mormon culture from California to here, where in in California, you're just one in a million almost. It seems like there's not very many, but I was probably one of, you know, 10 or 12 in my high school. So it was it was it wasn't um, and all my friends weren't Mormon. And so it was, you know, like, I don't feel I feel like I have no judgment when it comes to hanging out with people and having fun. Um, and so I still, my wife and I still carry that on. Our, our best friends are not, you know, LDS people or anything like that. And, and so it's, it's just fun to, to, to be out with just awesome and diverse people. I just, we love it. That's like, we call it our people. Like they're, oh, they're just so real and authentic. You know, they're, they're not judgmental and we try not to be judgmental and, and, you know, wish people did certain things certain ways. We're just not like that at all. But uh, anyway, so um, from high school, let's say I, I served a mission for, for the church, the Mormon church. 
uh, back in 1996. I went to Mexico, Chihuahua, which was a total culture shock for me. It was um, one of those things where you're like living. Um, I actually lived better in Mexico than I did in Texas. I, I Part of that mission sent me to Texas for two months while I waited for a visa to get across the border. Most people are trying to go the other way, and I was going down, right? And so, um, but uh, so I, I was in Texas for two months, and I think I, those were the worst living conditions I'd ever experienced. Like, I was on a mattress on a floor that had cockroaches and just, you know, blankets that were used. I didn't have any of that stuff because I was, you know, assuming that was provided. And, uh, but it was, it was tough. Like, you know, so those times where you're like 18, 19, and you're being separated from family and home and all the luxuries that you know of, and then, being thrown out into this world where you're now representing an organization um, as a missionary and serving people in different in a different culture. Um, Mexico was better, but it wasn't that much better. But you know, so I lived in Mexico for 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 those the rest of those two years. Um, I you know lived in Chihuahua, which is right on the border. Uh, Juarez is like one of the most dangerous cities in the world for drug trafficking, for you know just people trying to get over to the United States and and all sorts of crazy stuff. And so. You know, we, we were robbed. We were, you know, held at gunpoint a few times and, you know, things, you know, just crazy, crazy stories and, and experiences. But always, you know, I never felt like I was in danger ever, but it was just one of those things where you're just like, you're young and you're just kind of like oblivious to some things. And um, anyway, so after I came home from a mission, I uh, was back in Southern California and uh, was going to a junior college. I think most of my, my hardest class was volleyball or wrestling. I don't remember which, but it was like I wasn't really doing much to like focus on school. But um, I had a, a wonderful aunt and uncle who lived here in Utah, and they invited me to come live with them. They just said, "Hey, why don't you? We feel imp- you know inspired to like invite you to come live with us and get into the university up here." And so I uh, I first said no. I didn't no thank you. I don't want to live in Utah. And uh, and then, you know, my mind changed. I think a few things had changed around me. Like I didn't have that same girlfriend anymore. I was dumped, you know, or, or something happened there. And then yeah, things just kind of closed up for me in California, it seemed like. And Utah was was like opening up. And uh, so I made the move. Transitioned over to Utah. I went to the University of Utah. Went back after University of Utah. And, uh, and you know, after four years of school and had a business degree uh, now under my belt. I was working in aerospace working at a company called Raytheon, which I was doing, you know, black ops projects, finance, pricing, and, uh, you know, things that I didn't, you know, know any, as I knew as little as possible enough to get a price for the government to be able, you know, or to send to the government to, for the Department of Defense and just really interesting projects like that, you know. What type of work was that as well? And what was your background in school? Yeah, so business administration, finance and entrepreneurship. So it was really interesting because, like, like I was in the finance side of of this Raytheon, this company Raytheon, and uh, was doing all sorts of, you know, just like, like I said, pricing projects for different, you know, parts and and uh, tools they use on aircraft and stealth bombers and satellites and missile systems and all that fun stuff. So it was really interesting work. Like, like our company was huge, right? But I was such a small little piece in that company that it just kind of drowned out the meaning behind what I was doing. Like it just, I just was a pricer. Like they gave me something to price. That was it. And it, and, and so work like that really was like monotony really kills me after like two to three years. I was like, okay, I can't keep doing this. I need to find something else. And, and by that time, you know, after, after being out of school a few years, I, I met my wife, Shalise um, Christensen, and we met in Southern California at a fondue party. We had a bunch of friends who threw this party together and we That's sat a little cheesy. 
It was very cheesy and it's stinky too. <laughs> stinky cheese. I, I was not in love with the stinky cheese. I love the fruit and chocolate. And so, you know, I sat next to this girl. She was cute blonde. And I was like, hey, she's eating, you know, you know, marshmallows and, and fruit with chocolate. I think I'll sit over there. That's great. And and so it was love at first dip, I guess you could say, <laughs> you know. And 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 so we um, it took a little convincing, though. She she wasn't as in love with me as as I was with her when I first met her. But uh, it was about two years later. We finally tied the knot. And uh, and so we started a family. I was probably twenty nine. I was 29 when I got married, actually, not probably. I was 29 when I got married. She's 26. She traveled a lot. She'd been around the world and, you know, helped out all her sisters with their babies. She was the favorite aunt. And uh, and so I had to uh, convince her to, to marry me. In fact, there was one conversation I remember distinctly. I asked her, I'm like, are you going to raise your nieces and nephews or are you going to have your own family? And she was so mad. She was so mad at me. She told her mom, she's like, mom, can you believe he said that to me and her mom was so happy <laughs> her mom was on my side right yeah. and she's like yes you need a good man to like help help you settle exactly. down or something and so that didn't help her point but it uh you know slowly convinced her persuaded her to to come to the dark side but um it, i think the final decision was when i went up to seattle to visit her it was impromptu it was like you know she she said hey you should come up and fourth of july weekend i'm like oh it'd be so awesome Airfare was like 600 bucks already. And I was like, oh man, I, I you know, I'd love to do that. I, I really want to be there with you, but I don't know about, I mean, can we like meet in the middle or something or, but, but so I kind of was like, not sure I was going to do it. But then the next morning I got up and I checked the internet for prices, airline airfare, and it was like 200 bucks. I was like, sweet. So I bought it and then, and I didn't even tell her, I just bought it. And then I told her I bought it. And then she was just so impressed by my, um, you know, like my drive to like go after her, you know, like to, oh, like she's, she was really impressed. She's like, oh, wow, he's, you know, he's taking steps. He meets something serious. He's, he's coming. You know? so, <laughs> so, um, and then I knew that that date, like that trip was going to be a do or die trip. Like this is, you know, we're going to pursue something or we're going to like say goodbye and go our way separate ways. And we had such a great time downtown Seattle, you know, Pike's Place. There's all these great little restaurants. There's the Space Needle Museums all over right through there. You can walk and walk around we had such a great time and we both knew, I think we both knew that, yeah, we wanted to tie the knot. We just wanted to, you know, start a family. We were, we're family oriented. And so we, um, so we did, we started, we, we got engaged, I think, uh, let's see about three or four months later. And, uh, I had proposed to her underneath the Manhattan beach pier. And so I, she didn't know I had the ring yet. And I actually, we were taking just pictures, you know, we like to do like, just kind of like fun, you know, pre-wedding pictures type of thing and so I had the camera set up on a timer and I brought out the ring just at the right time and I opened it and I got on one knee and the camera shutters you know snapped and and forever I've got this picture on our wall of me with the ring open her face all excited and and, and you know surprised because she didn't know I had the ring and that's you know I proposed her underneath the the pier there and you know some people like to have lots of people around when they do proposals and things like that it was just her and I and you know, I just like those smaller, quiet, quieter, intimate times where it's just like I don't want to have like big crowds and stuff. But it was it was awesome. So we could share the picture with anybody. They could see it, you know. And um, but yeah, so like four months later, we were we were married. So our engagement was really short. And uh, so we got married, got married in Newport Beach. We started our family or not started our family. We started our, our marriage together in El Segundo. Uh, where the Beastie Boys lost their wallet. I don't know if you've ever heard that song. Never mind. It's that that dates me. I'm 40. Um, Beastie Boys is big out of Southern California. Anyway, so they have a song that goes, "I lost my wallet in El Segundo." 
So that's where it was. That's where it comes okay. from. Yeah. Nice. So El Segundo is where we lived. And, um, and so we started our family in El Segundo. I was working at Raytheon. I got into a master's program. Um, you know, I studied uh, organizational leadership and development. I love anything leadership related. Um, I think it's just fabulous. Like as far as like my whole thesis was based around, you know, leadership begins with the single person like you. Like if you need to be able to lead yourself, like understand yourself and be able to, to, to you know, uh, live into a future that you want to live into by making choices that are going to lead you there. And where did that interest in doing that master's program come from? You know, um, so I, I I've always like had this thing for leadership, just like I don't know, um, like just growing up. So I mean, you, you can see me. I have I have really light eyes, and growing up as a little kid, a lot of people would always say, "Oh, your eyes are so amazing. Your eyes are so amazing." Because I have dark hair, tan skin, and light eyes, and so it's it's a very distinct feature. I thought they were contact lenses. Really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But some people have, and I'm like, no, they're real. I'm like. Not a big deal for me, but but, uh, but growing awesome. up in like Inglewood and Redondo Beach and Hawthorne and those areas, there's a lot of, of African American culture and people there. And I had a lot of friends who were African American, and and they always wondered if my eyes were real. And I'm <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, they're my real this eyes. <laughs> but it was it's just something that was always brought up, and right. it, and not as like I'm not trying to tout it or anything, but it's just like I was always put in a position of leadership because of something like that. So I was always class president. I was always like, you know, I, I ran for like homecoming king at the junior college I went to and came up second place. Which, you know, I was short a few votes. But, okay, same with me. Um, <laughs> right. So, yeah. See, so you know what I mean. Um, and then it just was always, you know, I was always put in a position of leadership. And and so I just kind of took on, like I'm the first of three kids too. So, and I'm the only boy. So, you know, I always was felt like I was kind of put in positions where I could lead and just over time that has just germinated and, and become something where I'm like okay I, I'm this I'm an example I'm a I'm someone who wants to you know kind of um, lead the way break new ground and, and it's interesting because the master's program I was in had two functions it, they had there was a lot of HR people that were in our leadership program because it was part of their HR master's program true they had similar classes and then there was the leadership program and it was very interesting because the HR program, they like love to keep the rules and they're like, no, this is the rule. This is how it goes. This is why we have the rules in the organization. Da, 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 da. So they're very, you know, in the box. Like this is how it goes. And then it was so opposite because the ones who were in the leadership program were like, no, break the rules. We're, we're going to, you know, break the, the, the barriers and we're going to create new things. And then all the HR people were like, no, they're freaking out because <laughs> they, they were worried about exactly. like, no, this is the rule. You can't you can't go outside that, you know, and the leaders are like, no, take charge. And, and so um, it was just really interesting to see the difference um, between the two different, um, you know, responsibilities or, or, or uh, industries and, and job functions. And so, so leadership really just kind of came natural. Yeah. Was it something you wanted to just get more formal training with? Or was it an idea that if you could do this master's program, you would be able to apply that skill uh, to something at Raytheon or maybe right. to the next venture, which we'll talk about soon? Where right, did right. the idea for getting that formal training come So from? the formal training, so the idea came because it was like, I, I felt like there was, there's a lot of, um, the world is in need of, of, of leaders, right? There's always a need for good leaders. And and, and so I kind of felt in my gut that there was there's that, that down the road there there would be a call for for someone to step into leadership right 
Um, there's a lot of trade associations, organizations that need good leaders. And that doesn't mean someone who's like you, someone who is like, no, follow me or, or you know, I'm going to show you the way or that type of thing. It's more like a servant type of leadership where it's like, I'll, I'll do everything I can in my power to make you succeed and to help your organization succeed if you'll follow. And then, and it just kind of is, becomes a natural following. So like, you know, like if I tell you, I'm going to support you with, by bringing people to you, you're going to like, yes, let's do that. And so then you'll kind of merge into what we're doing. And so it's not like an arrogant, like I'm your leader and you have to follow me, that type of thing. It's more like a natural, like just a, a relation, a relationship that's been built and, and, and like a natural desire to say, hey, look, I think we, we do what this guy's doing or help follow him and in what he's creating. Then it becomes this natural um, like give back. Like I'm giving back to you guys more or like to the people I want to give back. And in that in return, what happens is you become a leader because people see that you're giving them more value in return. Absolutely. Servant right. leadership. Right. That's, servant leadership. Robert Greenleaf type stuff. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Right. right. And so, um, so that's, that's really what drove me to the leadership thing. I mean, I'm an Eagle Scout, so that's always been part of the, you know, what I've done. And then, you know, outdoor adventure has always been fun. Um, you know, so there's, there's a lot of really great opportunities to, to have. Absolutely. So. So with all of your experience in leadership, especially through organizations like Boy Scouts and right. different things in the outdoors. Uh, how did you eventually decide that, hey, I want to combine my passion for leadership, my passion for the outdoors, and my entrepreneurial tendency in nature right. to launch what you're doing right now? So, how did that come about? So that comes back to uh, the family side. So so when I first got married, um, I was so excited. I was doing tech like development and entrepreneurial stuff. And, and so I was with, at Raytheon. And actually, I left Raytheon because we were going to have a baby. And, and so, um, just to jump back to the career real quick, but we, we were going to have a baby and I was doing like level three work and I was being paid a level one pay. And so I asked for a raise and they weren't going to offer it. They're like, sorry, we're, there's a higher freeze. We're not doing anything. So I was like, okay, well, let me go look around. And I started looking around. I actually jumped into aerospace or to, to oil and gas, which is right across the street, the main street from where I was working before, which is great. I've, so what's interesting, you'll notice I've worked in almost every industry. <laughs> you can possibly imagine um anyway so so when i first got married i was so excited about being married and i'm like because i was always i've always been an entrepreneur and i had this idea and i i was so excited i'm like shalice my wife's name is shalice i'm like shalice so excited like we're like i can't wait to like ha- for you to like help me with some ideas to like go out and to create a business around or something and she her immediate reaction was i don't want anything to do with your businesses i don't want anything to do with business i don't i'm she's she thinks she's not very business savvy or not very knowledgeable around business and didn't i guess i maybe i was bugging her too much about like asking for her support and helping create some sort of idea that she just kind of went off she's like no i don't want anything to do with that and i was so deflated i felt so deflated i was like no i thought i had this partner in crime and like somebody to like really like work together with and and so it kind of I never really asked anymore. I was like, okay, well, she's not really interested in, you know, technology. She's not really interested in like, there were other things that we did, computers, you know, and, and stuff like that. And still falls under the category of technology. But, but I was mostly always looking at tech. And, um, but what I, what I noticed after a while, I did find one area that was very interesting to her. And that was the outdoor adventure and yoga. She loved yoga. She's been doing it for over 10 years. She's been in a structure. So, I had the opportunity to go down to have a supai, and that's when you know the whole Grenogi story starts. But um, but to step back before we get down down that that path, um, it had to do with just like trying to find 
a common ground where she was aligned and was interested and I was interested. And so that's where even the name Granogi comes from. Um, and so, was she very interested in the yogi part of the she Granogi? she loves yeah. to what, what travel her oh she loves to travel she loves to uh to i mean she wants to get out and see the world and so um and then yoga was just natural for her she just kind of she uh she learned to love it um at first she says you know she's i wish she was here so she could speak for it to it or about it but um she she had a sports injury and then found yoga and at first was not in love with it but then she went back a few more times and it became something a lot more important to her and so now she just pursued it she's you know certified and has been teaching courses all over and has led to i don't know how many thousands of people but she's she's phenomenal on the yoga side and i've even led one of her courses classes once she got where she got sick and i stepped in as as a sub because the sub didn't show up and I was like, oh, well, I'm not really the sub, but I'm her husband. I can, I could try to teach this class. And so I, I did. And I have a lot of respect for those yoga instructors. They put a lot of effort. It's I mean, tough. it's, Definitely. it is. And I, I tried to lead a, an hour class. And I, I ran out of what I could remember in 45 minutes. So, but, uh, but the people who were there appreciated it because I gave it a go and, and it was really cool. I, I, I would love to get certified. I just, you know, for me, time is an issue and I've got lots of things and, if someone's going to get certified, I'd rather have her go and get certified again or some other certification or something. But um, So you wanted to find something that would combine your passions, your interests, and hers, hers together yeah. in this really interesting kind of uh, synergy together. Right. How did that transform into Grinogi? What was the, um, the catalyst, the catalyst that? that created that? So um, it started with me getting ready for the Spartan race. Have you ever done a Spartan race? Definitely. Yeah, yeah those are phenomenal it was a beast so it was a long distance it was like 15 miles um my running was distance at the time was not you know all that great so i was trying to build up my distance and so i was traveling back and forth to phoenix and then this one trip i decided to drive down and i kind of had in my mind i brought my gear i i just thought i'm gonna i'm gonna try to stop in to have a supai i didn't have a permit and usually what they do is they'll kick you out in fact today it, they've, they've really gotten more strict about day hikers so for anyone who doesn't know the coolest place in the entire country which is obviously i give a little bit of background on right that too. why were you there how'd you find it so i had what originally gone with the boy scouts and it was like a big group of 70 of us and it was it was phenomenal like the waterfalls are just like unbeatable like the turquoise blue water it's like it's just gorgeous they're like a 192 foot high waterfalls the place is always changing you know there's always new formations and, and waterfalls that are being created and it's an offshoot of the grand canyon too, it right? is it's a tributary so it's a havasu creek that leads into the colorado river and uh you can actually run down to the confluence where the waters merge um, and so i was getting ready for the spartan race and i decided to run run the 10 mile hike in and how'd you hear about the place um originally from the from this boy scout trip i'd heard about it you know from um i've heard it before that i had heard about it and you know just from friends but and, then the boy know. scout trip was the first but the boy scout trip yeah they needed an extra leader and yeah. i was like i'll go i was the first to volunteer i'm like yeah i totally want to go i haven't been ever and i've always you know heard or seen pictures of it and i'm like no i need to finally go and and so I fell in love with it. Like I just fell in love with that place. And if you know, when you're down there, you really forget everything else. Like everything is just, you know, gone. And when um, people say what's the coolest adventure you've ever been on, that's what I always say. Right. It's that amazing. Right. Yeah. It's like you unplug. I mean, mail is still delivered on a mule down there. There are no roads down there. There. I mean, no vehicles down there. There are dirt roads down there. And there's a 
couple of vehicles here and there that the city uses to the the, the the community there uses to you know do a few things here and there and um but but no traffic there's no way in there um there are a, there's a helicopter pad so you can fly out if there's an emergency they have a you know a facility in case there's you know uh, if you do get injured or something they, they can treat you down down there um but other than that it's just it's just one of those pristine places and um, it is it's on a native american reservation so technically it is its own nation it's you're you're outside of the United States. It's when funny because you don't feel like you're in the U.S. and you're technically not in the U.S. Even right. though it's within the borders of the U.S. Right, right. And there's an enclave down there, which is what the the government calls uh, like a school. Like you know, an enclave is a federal government land. So the school down there is actually an on, on an enclave. So it's to, it's entirely fenced in, and this is, and it's a federal it's a federal it's a federal school. So the wow. school the school is run by the federal government, and uh, and so. Um, so I, when I ran down there, um, it was I did it in like two hours, which is I mean not that great, but it's only eight miles to the to the um, tourist office. And so when I checked in, the guy was so blown away that I had actually run in with an ultralight pack, and he's like, "Why you just ran in?" And I'm like, "Yeah, it's not a big deal. Is that okay? Can I camp?" He's like, he was so impressed that he's. He said, yeah, you can stay. That's fine. You can camp. So he made me pay. Even though you're not. Even though I didn't have You a, need a permit, right? You do need a permit. Yeah. They won't let you in anymore. But he was so impressed. That he, was, he was impressed that, that was I, your permit. Right. I guess maybe he was more sympathetic because he's right. like, otherwise you got to run out. <laughs> yeah. and, and I don't think you'll make it. Because so. he knew he'd have to come save you after you pass right. out on this. Right. I'd be, I'd be <laughs> on the trail, some dead body down there. And, um, and he didn't want the bad publicity. But, but so they actually got to stay. And... Um, I kind of had a backup plan. I know that there's a couple of churches down there that have kind of grass that nobody sleeps on. So I'm just like, well, maybe I'll just sleep up over here in the village. But uh, anyway, so I, I actually got in and, um, you know, just started walking through the village by myself. But just, I was just saying hi. I just, you know, my normal self, which is to be polite and kind. And I like to connect with people. And so I was just connecting with different people. And I got to connect with some of the rangers. And, and over time, I developed a really good relationship with, with some of the people down there. And, uh, and what the catalyst for Granogi was, is that, um, I was meeting with one of the tribal elders and, you know, her name is, uh, Diana Sue Ukwala. Um, and she is, she's been there for years and years. And so she'll dress up in her garb and she'll do weddings down there. She'll, she'll be the officiator and she'll, um, and so anyway, so she'll just, I mean, she just, it's just incredible to see her when she's dressed up. Um, but I was, I was asking her, I said, well, what, what can I do to give back? Like, I was so impressed with the place. Like I was doing fundraising. So I had jumped from, you know, I, I mentioned I went to oil and gas and then I went to banking and then I went to, um, fundraising. And so I was doing fundraising at the time and I asked her, well, look, I fundraise. What, what do you guys need? What can I do to give back? And, you know, she looked at me and she said, well, we don't need money. And I was, I was kind of blown away. I'm like, Really, this place could use a little bit of money. Because <laughs> as a fundraiser, most people don't say that. To no, me, right? <laughs> they don't ever say that to me. They're like, "Well, we need money." That's right. the first thing they say. And and so, you know, I was blown away. And, and I'm like, "Well, what can I do? What do you need?" And and she lo- thought about it for a minute, and then she looked at me right in the eyes, and she said, "Bring people here to be healed and to be healed by this magic by this magical water, because the water literally comes right out of the ground. So they see it as like." nature and and it's a healing water it's got healing properties and the minerals looks magical water. Too. right right and so she she basically said come send bring people here so that they can be healed they can pray and meditate here and i was just i was blown away i'm like great i'd love to do that i don't know what does that look like you know what does that what right. does that entail it's a very spiritual place for them right it, it is and she does ceremonies in the water and and stuff and and so i 
I, you know, I, we parted and I, I came back home and I asked my wife and I said, well, you know, we've got this opportunity. She said, bring people here. What, what does that look like? What do you think that we can do? And, and so then I reached back out to the, to some other contacts and I said, Hey, we'd like to secure a weekend for have a And, uh, and so they, they, they do their planning, you know, they have a certain schedule. Um, but they were able to put me on the board and say, okay, you've got this weekend and you can have 300 spots. And that's like the whole campground, right? And so we had the whole campground was reserved for this event. And immediately we, we got to work, you know, trying to figure out what to do. And I thought, well, shoot, it's going to be our 10 year anniversary. So 10 years had passed by since we've been married, but it's going to be a 10 year anniversary. We could just sell the permits and double our money and then just, you know, donate something or figure something like that. Or, and then my wife started to come up with ideas. Well, maybe we could do like get some yoga instructors down there. Maybe we can get some meditation going on down there. It's a great place to do that. And so then it just turned into this bigger and bigger, bigger, bigger event. And so we had, we actually ended up having a team of 40. So we had like 12 yoga instructors. We had like five meditation people. We had um, health and wellness workshops down there. We had a vegan chef out of Texas down there. I mean, it was like, the food was incredible, by the way. It was just like, oh, just, I mean, just amazing. Um, Kelly Ritter was the was one of the main chefs, and Amanda Cope is her name, and, and they're out of Austin. Amazing, amazing um, girls, and we just I just love them. And I wish I could do more because now we, things have changed a little bit. But, but with this group of 300 people, we were all, I mean, like, can you imagine? I mean, it, it, everybody didn't hike in at the same time. We, we broke it up, so it was, you know, manageable. But uh, it was just an amazing opportunity to, to put together an event. So and when you were hosting this, were you still, was this more of a, like a side project, like a trial run? You were still working full time right. with the fundraising role, right? Right. I was still doing fundraising. And, and then I had this event that we put together. And, and so um, it got to the point where it, it needed so much more mo- time and attention that I, I actually ended up leaving the fundraising job so that I could focus on what we were building what was that decision like for you? Um, that was a tough one because it really was like security, like job security and all the other stuff. And and over those ten years, we'd had we'd had four kids. So you know, I've got four kids. I'm a dad of four, two boys, two girls. Oh, this is nine. And uh, and so my wife was like, okay, well, we've got this. You know, we're doing this. I mean, this this is our future. We could build a brand, build a, a name for ourselves, and and give back to the tribe and give back to other communities and and and. You know, it's grown beyond that even now, but, uh, but it was a little nerve wracking. It's, you know, whenever you step off into like an entrepreneurial venture, it's, it's always one of those things of like, okay, what are we going to learn this time? You know, what can we learn? And, and, you know, how are we going to go further this time than the last time we started an adventure, you know? So, uh, you, you know, you learn every time you, you, you try something and it fails or, you know, almost succeeds or something right, right? So. <laughs> well you learn just as much from the failures as you do from the right. successes probably more from the failures actually. more a lot more from the failures yeah. right and so i i was i was quick to to bring in the attorneys quick to bring in all of the people that knew what they were doing first like up front because i i didn't want granogi to fail i wanted it to succeed so we anyway so we did that event and and actually the name granogi um came af- after that event um, when we were describing the event, we we used it. We called it something else. It was called Tagabo Supai, and the word Tagabo, or to, it's the way they say it in Supai, is Tagapo, like with a P. That means to gather, and so we actually called our event Gathering in Supai, and but in their language. And um, 
But every time I described it to somebody, it was always, I was always, you know, instead of, you know, here's that 30 second elevators pitch, you know, I was trying to get it from like five minutes to like two minutes to like 30 seconds. But it, I just kept describing, oh, well, we're camping, hiking, backpacking, and and then we're, you know, doing yoga and meditation and workshops. And 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 so that was the, the 10 second spiel. And then I got down to it, like, well, we're doing granola. And they were doing yogi. And then it's like, you know, or like it's for the granola and the yogi. And it just became like the words came together, like it just merged. And all of a sudden it was like this this light bulb just lit up like granogi. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I got to go see if that's available. Because <laughs> was the domain available? It was. Wow. It was totally available. And I looked up nobody. Nobody had ever used that word. I, the actually, dot com too? The, the dot com was available. Yeah. I, there was actually one place in France, I think somebody had called a yogurt parfait a granogi. Which sounds great. I mean, I would eat yogurt parfait, but I don't see how that was a granola. It's amazing no one has used that name before. Granola yogurt. I don't. Right. Doesn't quite really match, but 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 the word granogi was available, That's and I was I was I was blown away. And so we we secured the dot com, we secured the patent or the trademark on the name on the word, and and on the logo. And so we've got all this great, you know, we have all this IP now. So what was the process of taking it from that one initial first event to saying we're going to focus on this full time, we're going to do it right, you're going to use all your experience and business and leadership to bring this thing together officially. Uh, how, what was that experience like for you? What were some of the hurdles you had to jump over and, and how'd you get through it? Um, so a lot of the hurdles had to do, well, it was, it was, it was a lot of work. So, I mean, finding the right attorney and getting the IP secured was number one. Like in order for us to, to, to have any other future events, we had to have that secured. Um, so it took a little bit to find the right attorney. I wasn't too worried about like somebody else stealing it. I think, I think people worry about that a, lot, a little too much. I think, in this day and age, most people don't like don't really follow through on what they say they're going to do anyway. It's hard enough to build an idea, right? Um, so and to execute on <laughs> right, it, like right. it's, it's people who are willing to execute and pull the trigger, you know, on on an idea. Those are the ones that you know they're going to go places. And there's you know ideas are a dime a dozen. It's just really are you going to be the one to to get it done? Um, so I mean, some of the for us, some of the hurdles really were like we're, you know financing, like trying to figure out where's the money going to come from. Um, did you use your skills with fundraising to help with that? You know, I, I thought about bringing outside investors into the business, but I, I've had, I had learned in the past from other experiences on business to not give equity away in, from, for the business until it's absolutely necessary. Um, investors don't like to see a lot of hands in the pie before you even get to them. They'd like to be the only one. You, they see that you're the only one in there. Right. Um, so it's Definitely. it's good to do trade like, you know, I can I can do get people into trips or onto trips or stuff like that. And so I can trade um, or even just pay them for their services. I think that's always the best option. Um, but but to, to give away equity or I mean, partners are cool. I think that's as, as long as you're you know aligned with each other and you're working hard to maintain your relationship and then the business, because typically you're friends first and then you like start a business and then end up losing your friendship over the business. And that's just not worth it. You don't want to do that. And, and so, um, you know, I, I think that's, that's, it's imperative to, to have everything in you know, like, like all the operating agreement, like rules of the game, like set up and structures and, um, in place before you start going right. too far. Did you learn a lot of those lessons in other jobs before starting Grinogi or was this through mistakes that, uh, some came up both, some of both, right. Some of both. So like different jobs that had, you know, for example, like I had an attorney do some legal work for a business that I had and 
you know, I gave him a small percentage and he was, he, he did his job and then he just kind of was like, he took long to do his job, but he was kind of floating and just kind of like, okay, I'm, I did my stuff. What else can I do for you? Just kind of on the legal side, but we weren't getting any sales. Like we weren't like reaching our market as well as we would have liked. And, and then, so I was trying to pull all the research and like everybody that I knew who was involved to help generate sales. And, and he just kind of sandbags like, no, that's not my job. I'm, I'm not worried about that stuff. And, and so you know, I, I kind of mentioned him like, look, you need to help push the cart because if you don't, like, it's just there's not going to be a cart to push. You're not going to have anything anyway. And and so he just kind of was like, oh, well. And so, you know, that's what they call debt equity. Somebody who just sits on the on the cart for free. You don't want that. Right. You want to get rid of that. But um, a lot of the other things that I learned, I guess, came from from entrepreneurs that I had in, been uh, introduced to through fundraising. So, you know, I fundraised here in Utah and Arizona and a lot of the people that I got to meet were were just incredible people. Like one guy, he sold his company for $340 million. And I was just, when I first met him, I was just blown away. It's like, it's like meeting a superstar. You're like, oh my gosh, you're so amazing. You're like, you, you, you started a company, you sold it 340. I can't believe it. You're fantastic. You're, you know, so I, like I'm talking up to him, like he's anything different. And he stopped me just right first meeting he's like look i haven't done anything different than anybody else i still get dressed i still do all these, all these things that anybody else does the only difference i did was i created value i put it into a company and i sold the company that's it you can do that and then he's like what are you gonna do you know and he challenged me he's like what are you gonna build sounds like a great guy and i was like dang he put me in, a, in my place in a yeah. sense but it did me a favor because like ever since then like I'd always looked at my donors like, oh my gosh, high and mighty. Like these guys are incredible. Some of them like that, you know, and, and they feed off of it. But, but I'm, a lot of them are just very humble. They're just like, look, I just went to work. I just created value. Now I have, I'm in a position where I can give money. I can, you know, put that money into some new idea. Um, but they're not arrogant in any sense, you know, and, and not, and I'm not saying that's all, all people. Those are the ones that I, a few that I had met and, and mostly because I was in fundraising already, they'd already given to the organization that I, I was raising for. And, and so it was just really cool to have like a mentor, someone who I, who they didn't know they were my mentor, but to me, they were a mentor. Like, it's like, you know, I, I look up to him and the way he is. And how he acts, and I and I say, okay, that's that's kind of how I want to be, you know, that kind of a person who's not not so arrogant, maybe, or more giving. Um, in fundraising, it's really interesting. If you're a fundraiser, you you you'll see this spectrum where there's people who've made a lot of money and they're very generous, or a lot of money and very stingy, and there's people who are very poor and still very generous, and then people who are poor and very stingy. And it's like it's like a quadrant. You can like pin where they are. And you can actually then decide where do you want to be. Like, like if I make a modest amount of money, do I want to be very generous or do I want to be very stingy about it or, or whatever? And so, like, you can almost kind of like people fall on that chart, and so you can see where people are and and the differences of the personality, and and it, you can tell like certain people are just are very different. It's just it's it's an interesting place to be. And it's really interesting. So when Grunogi becomes a billion dollar company, <laughs> which one do you want to be? Oh, totally generous. Totally generous. Like even like my wife gets mad at me. I'm like, look, if I've got it, I want to share it. Like I want to help support somebody else in being successful. And if I've got it, I want to help. But but not to the detriment of the company. Like I'm not gonna like go in negative and and not be able to do that. Or you know. But I want to I want to set up. Grenogi said that it is contributing to the larger society as a whole. Um, 
we've looked at different structures for the business since we're still new. We started out as an LLC. And when did you start? We started officially. So the Tagabo was under a different name. That was the first event we did in 2015. And that was under a different company. And we actually um, just rolled everything from there into the new company in 2016. So we started July of last year. So we're now one year old. Awesome. Officially. Happy birthday. Yeah. Congrats. Seriously, like this weekend was, was it would be the one year mark. And uh, so we're looking, you know, next year will be our second year. We'll be going back to have a supai again. Uh, and that will generate revenue for the business to be able to give back as well and, and to keep moving forward. And then we'll look at the other aspects of the business, the festivals. Like if you haven't been to a Granogi festival, you're going to be like, what's a Granogi festival? Like, I want to go. Um, and it's outdoor adventure yoga. It's, we bring all those partners together in the local hype market. You know, so all of Salt Lake City, the local gear companies, the local yoga studios, the local meditation studios, local um, health and wellness companies. And then we bring the public in and they get a chance to meet all these great studios. And I had students from different universes come over and give me big hugs. They're like, yeah, I got like I got week long passes for like eight studios. Now I got yoga for two months. (laughs) They were so stoked. Um, But what's great is they actually get to, you know, meet the different studios and meet the different instructors and then they'll find one that they love, you know, and then they'll start going there or they'll get certified now or, you know, so there's all these great, you know, connections that have been born out of this festival that we did just this, you know, last month. And it's really amazing to see because really like it's created a place for people to connect and, to me, that's like the most satisfying because now, like I was telling somebody else, like we had a gong, uh, this gal who does a gong, plays the gong. She um, she loves to play the gong. She didn't know how to find places to play. And so she she had every yoga studio in Salt Lake City there almost to like go talk to. Like, hey, I play the gong. I'd love to do it for your studio. And, and now they're like calling her up and she's got like tons of business, you know, now people where she can affect and give sound therapy to all these different studios. Um, and then other, you know, groups with singing bowls and other people with like health and wellness. And so it's really, you know, impacted a lot of these, these organizations that came as exhibitors. So for, for a first year festival, we had 52 exhibitors and, you know, I had people come out, coming up to us who were in the event space. Like, I don't know how you did that. That's incredible. And I just tell them it's all about communication and really giving back to them, you know, making sure that they're satisfied and that their needs are being met and, and just in, just reminding them of their mission because really all these people, their mission is the same as ours. It's really to close the gap between where people are and where they want to go. And that's what Granogi is, is really helping narrow that gap. And, and so, you know, we've gone from have a supai, which is great. You know, I, I actually would like to step away maybe, or not step away, but, but, but set that aside and let that run. Um, and then have Granogi as a brand, larger brand itself, start going down the, the, the festival path. And then maybe gear down the road, just kind of gear that that isn't as common out there or something like that. Speaking of impacts, mm-hmm. of all the different things that you've done and created and everything Grinoki's done, um, you're such an incredibly giving, caring, servant leadership focused person. It, it really jumps out. It's very obvious. Right. What impact do you want to have uh, at in kind of your life in general through Ganogi and through everything else. If you could leave with one legacy, one impact, what would that be? One legacy, one impact. I would have to say that I'd want somebody to have gone to one of our events and their life been better. Like they leave having found something that is going to make their life like so much better. And then they, and then they always, whenever they see a Ganogi event, they're like, oh yeah, if I go there, I know I'm going to have some, something is going to transform in my life. 
something's going to change. And, and so that I think is really what I think what I want Grinogi to be is that like that name of like, Oh, you want, you want something different in your life. You want to change. You want to connect, go to Grinogi. It's like, it's a great place to disconnect and, um, and reconnect with people. Absolutely. So, and yeah. outside of Grinogi, what do you want your, um, kind of your one bit of advice, uh, to everyone listening today to be, um, outside of Grinogi. Life um, so advice. just life advice from Eric, the book of Eric. Yep. Um, <laughs> I'd have to say, I'd have to say communication is key. I'd have to say communication. Um, there are so many ways that we communicate and so many ways that we, um, like that we stifle communication. Like, like, I don't know, some people, maybe they can relate to it, but, um, maybe they feel like they can't share something with a loved one or some individual. They're either not on purpose, but they're just like, they withhold like their communication. Um, withholding is probably one of the hardest things to do because it, it's what kills relationships. I got a friend who was married 25 years and he just didn't communicate with his wife in a way that was open and, and related to, you know, they weren't relating with each other. And after 25 years, they, he just says, I'm done. I give up. I'm not, you know, not, and then he just blurts everything out. So like gunny sacking, you know, stuff and not being in communication with, with the people that you love, you know, being worried that they might trip out a certain way, because if you say that they might get mad at you. I mean, that, that kind of stuff is the stuff that is a killer. So, so I would say, I would say learning to communicate powerfully and authentically, I think would make the huge difference for a lot of people. And, uh, and so for me, one source, and I just, uh, you can add this in if you want, but landmark education has been a powerful vehicle for me to understand what causes me to communicate in certain ways and to act or sabotage myself in, in areas of my life that, that are meaningful. Um, and for one example, like I used to think that if I wasn't being told I was doing a good job, I must not be doing a good job. And that, that applied to every manager that I ever had. And, and eventually I got to the point where I was like, oh, I'm, I'm doing horrible. And I would move on to the next job. Um, but what I realized through taking the Landmark Forum or any of these Landmark courses is that I had that conversation. It was me in my head. And, and it was something that I had created. And I don't really need everybody's approval to know that I'm doing a good job. Like, you know, I don't have to be told that. But, um, but yeah, so I would say communication is key. And the more you can learn about how to communicate... I think will empower anybody, you and others, to to achieve more. Thanks for listening to another episode of Inside the Adventure. That was the story of Eric Baird, who, after listening to his story, it makes perfect sense how I met him. I was standing at a booth at the Outdoor Retailer Conference, and he simply walked up to me and said, Hey, that's a really cool shirt. Tell me more about Vestigo. Which really goes to show you, you never know who you might be standing next to. And by the way, if you might have heard some music playing in the background, that's because we were filming live from the Outdoor Retailer Conference from our glorified podcasting recording studio, the bottom side of a staircase in a janitorial closet. And there happened to be a concert going on in the room next to us. But hey... It adds to the story. If you or someone you know has your own adventure story and would like to be featured on the show, you can contact us by visiting vestigo.co slash podcast. While on our website, you can also listen to our past episodes and subscribe to the show. Remember, your next adventure is right around the corner.
The only thing stopping you is you. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week on Inside the Adventure.